0: You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania.
1: Hey, it's Sarah. Hey, it's Amanda, and it's just us two today talking about the case of Kimberly Yeo, and Sarah, this actually, um, her body was found near where we grew up, so some of these places might sound familiar to you. So in the end of May of 1996, two men headed out on the Susquehanna River for a little after work fishing. As they made their way through the river near the small town of Dauphin, which is also known as Middle Paxton Township, they saw something floating close to the riverbank. Something so horrific that the image would continue to haunt them for years to come. There in the water was a body of a woman floating face down. Dauphin County partner Graham Hetrick arrived to the scene and immediately knew that this was not an accident. The young woman was completely naked except for white athletic socks. She had been severely beaten, strangled, her hands were bound behind her back, all before being thrown in the river. It was estimated that her body had been in the water for five to nine days, and it obviously was not the location the homicide took place.
0: I would say, yeah, pretty pretty good observation there. It was not an accident. <laughs> I feel like if, if someone's bound up, that's typically intentional.
1: Yeah. I mean, was
0: S&M a thing back then? I mean, wouldn't you uncut the ties if something happened and you were disposing of a body? I don't know. Maybe not. Not my jam. Not, sure. not Not my place. I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> so Graham was quoted saying this was a very bad person, a very sick person that did this, which I can definitely agree. Yeah. So who was this woman and who could have done something like this to her? The remains were identified as 20 year old Kimberly Yo, that also went by the nickname Kimmy. She was described as an outgoing, energetic 20 year old. She had enlisted in the United States Army after she graduated from Redland High School in nineteen ninety-three. According to reports, she was only enlisted for a short period of time, and I couldn't find out why. Um, supposedly, it was like a month, so I don't know if she was doing like the reserve, where it's you know one weekend a month, two weeks a year. Um, but it said that she was dis or she was discharged, and she was eventually buried at Fort Indian Town Gap, and it wasn't dishonorable. So I don't. Quite know what is up there. Yeah, and it,
0: I mean, I wouldn't think that it was because she was murdered in that first month. Um, Now, maybe I'm just reading it wrong, but saying that she enlisted after she graduated, she graduated in 93, I don't see how it would take three years for her. Like, if she was enlisted for a month, was murdered, and then it takes three more years for her body to turn up or Two and a half years, with it being May of ninety six. I don't know. It seems like that wasn't. No,
1: she was seen two weeks. She was seen two weeks before. Okay. So it wasn't like she was missing for a long period of time, and she was living with her parents in Edders and was working full time at Electronic Data Systems in East Pennsboro Township. Um, Okay. But she was apparently. um, I don't know if she was working on being. Um, a canine police officer, but that was kind of her dream was to continue on to that. So I don't know if the army was maybe a stepping stone to that.
0: Yeah. I wonder if it was like a medical something or other that happened within the first month it's that possible. would make it not dishonorable. I mean, my brother, we always joke that my brother broke his best friend because literally my be- his best friend was helping him unload sound equipment and the equipment fell on him. It was heavier than they thought. And it literally snapped his leg in half. Um, And then he was medically discharged from the military. So it was considered honorable because it wasn't his fault that my brother snapped his leg in half. But um, I wonder if maybe it just happened to be something like freak like that that happened within the first month.
1: Yeah, I couldn't find any information, but it wasn't like she was dishonorably discharged. So right. And she had no criminal record, but she was known to stay out late and take several, like, day-long trips to spend time with her friends and family. So she would, like, disappear for a week at a time. But it sounds like she was going, like, she had a place in mind. It wasn't like she just disappeared somewhere.
0: Or she was with people.
1: Yeah. And at this time, it had actually been about two weeks since her family had seen her and they, when they received the death notification. So it we're talking about probably a week window of when yeah. she was last seen. And then with like the time of death being five to nine days. Right. Um, So police started to look for information to piece together the events leading up to her death and found out that she was known to frequent a truck stop called Gables truck stop, which is located on the man of the hill exit where 81 and route 39 or Lingolstown road for you. Yeah. Central PA people meet. I find that weird though, because like she lives in Edder, so like why be that
0: far? I mean, if she was frequenting the truck stop because of going like up or home from the gap if she was going up. Maybe she was in the military for more than a month if she was going up to drill at the gap. Um uh-huh. at Fort Indian Town Gap. For those of you that don't remember that short name from that episode. I mean you go right by that, you can see that truck stop from the highway.
1: So that's exactly where investigators started. Um, they actually found her dark blue 87 Mazda 626 with two distinctive rebel flags on the back window. According to an employee, she was last seen there about two weeks prior to her body being found. And the only reason that she was remembered was because she paid by a credit card and the lady thought that the name sounded familiar.
0: Interesting.
1: So they was an article that said that she stopped there for breakfast before school however that's like really far out of the way unless she was going to a school that wasn't reported but then there was another article that said that this truck stop was in edders but the gable truck stop that i found is in like yeah off of lingualstown
0: because i mean Um, i can i can picture exactly which one you're talking about that's i mean There are also lots of truck stops in Edders because 83 is another huge uh, trucking route. But thats I wonder if maybe at one point there were two and maybe she would go to the one in Edders a lot, but she would also go to the other one. That's weird.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to go with the premise that it is the one on Lingolstown Road because the majority of the articles point to it being off of 81 and Edders is off of 83. So... I'm going to stick with that one. So a little idea about Gable's truck stop. Like I said before, it's located on a, off of a well-traveled road, Interstate 81 and Route 39. In an article published by the Post Gazette, the truck stop is described as quote, surprisingly small and homely. It's surrounded by larger, better lit truck stops. The Gable patch of asphalt ends at the edge of the woods, convenient for hookers hiding from police. The lot was often jammed by late afternoon, especially what they called party row, which was the dark far end of the lot that was notoriously known for lot lizards. You could sit and watch girls run the rows, run under the trucks in all directions. So if you don't know what a lot lizard is, Urban Dictionary.
0: <laughs> Not said. Yes. Yes.
1: So according to the interview in that article with a former prostitute that went by the name Fire, if she was arrested that night, she would shell out the $418 for the fine and then get right back to work because it was nothing for them to make upwards of $1,000 in a night. Wow. And she had worked under four pimps in her career from that truck stop and then was relocated to Toledo, Ohio.
0: And that's a lot of money in the 90s.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, nothing says that like Kimberly was involved with that, like directly, but it is like, if she's hanging out there, obviously she saw something along that, um, which might lead to this next theory because how she said she dreamed of being like a canine handler. So, um, there's a theory surrounding the, um, like dealing with the truck stop and all of that. So in March of 2004, the FBI Pennsylvania State Police and the Department of Treasury commenced a grand jury investigation named codenamed Precious Cargo in a national prostitution of minors and young adult women. This precious cargo investigation identified numerous pimps primarily in Toledo, Ohio, where Miss Fire went. Right. They're running nationwide. This precious cargo investigation identified numerous pimps primarily from Toledo, Ohio, which is where FIRE was now located, who were running a nationwide prostitution ring out of none other than Gable's truck stop in Harrisburg, PA. Now, it isn't the only place that we're interested in, but it definitely sticks out. Apparently sean dillard was a state trooper at the time and was stationed at troop h which is located in harrisburg and he was tasked with performing an anti-prostitution parole at the truck stop as well as a few other locations sean would stop at gable's truck stop to patrol but his idea of patrolling was far different than the law he was actually taking prostitutes into custody and offering reduced or no charges for sexual favors, Oh. which cool. he did multiple times off record, which obviously you wouldn't record that, Great. but that's not all. He would also warn prostitutes that law enforcement was doing a sweep, aka arrest, so they could let their pimps know so that they could avoid being arrested. Why are you in law enforcement? <laughs> right? Not all cops are bad, but this one really sucked. By doing all this, he enabled the prostitution ring to continue to prostitute children as young as 12 years old from the truck stop. But still, that's not all. Another state trooper, named Kevin Coleman, was accused of tipping off prostitutes and pimps as well. He had accepted money from pimps for tips and would secretly arrest prostitutes. He would selectively arrest prostitutes to receive sexual favors to avoid charges. Operation Precious Cargo was successful and it took 15 pimps, two chief prostitutes and two corrupt
0: state police off of the streets. I mean, at least it pulled those guys off the streets. Like, yeah, I mean, you do you if that's your thing and you want to pay a sex worker, you want to be involved in sex work. Like, I don't have the energy for it. I'd rather be asleep on my couch for 18 hours a day. But like, if that's your lifestyle choice, that's fine. But if you're a state cop that's supposed to be stopping these prostitution rings and saving like, you know, 12 year olds that don't have the age of consent to consent to this, then um, no, I don't like you. Go away.
1: Yeah. So not saying that she was involved in this, but there was a lot of stuff obviously going on there. So we don't know if maybe she still had that dream with police that she was hanging out because she wanted to learn more about that. Or if she was maybe meeting someone there, or of course, you know, there's always the trucker theory because why wouldn't there be a trucker theory at a truck stop? Right. Um, that is really close. Like that area is really close to, um, I can't think of her name. I'm sure you knew who I mean, Sarah, but the girl that was killed in her backyard out there, like, not too long Well, I shouldn't say not too long ago. It was probably like 10 years ago, maybe. And she was sitting in her backyard and this truck driver just like came to her backyard and stabbed her to death. And he had killed a whole bunch of other people and ended up getting caught in the South. Um, I feel like he was caught in like Virginia. Does that sound familiar? There was... I think she was in Grahamville. Um
0: Okay. There, I know there was the one in 2021, but she was like a social media influencer or something. Um, and that's all that's coming up on Google.
1: Yeah, it was definitely in her.
0: Darlene um, Ewalt. May yes. of
1: 2009. Yeah. Yeah. She literally was like on her back porch, on her phone, I think having a drink or smoking a cigarette or something. And this guy just came into her backyard and stabbed her. And then went on to the next city.
0: Wow. We'll have to link this article in our show notes, too.
1: Yeah. So, like, that transient aspect is kind of hard to, like, they can get in and get away. Oh, yeah. Which I I think is why um, authorities went as far as submitting the case to the FBI's Highway Serial Killer Initiative, which um, is a little, I didn't know that there was a thing. but apparently there's such a problem with it being on interstate all these interstates that they created this like task force so that they could track like killers and patterns so the victims of these cases are primarily women that are of like um the victims of these cases are primarily women who are living a high risk transient lifestyle often involved in substance abuse or prostitution and they frequently are picked up at truck stops or service stations and sexually assaulted, murdered, or dumped along the highway. Suspects are predominantly long-haul truck drivers, but the mobile nature of the offenders and the unsafe lifestyles of the victims, they're predominantly long-haul truck drivers. Um, and this special task force was able to determine that. So,
0: I mean, the fact that the, the truck drivers were just going all along you know, between different counties, different cities, different states, you've got all these different people that are getting involved and that makes it difficult. Is that like what you're?
1: Yeah. So they, they're calling it the violent criminal apprehension program, which is VICAP, which I'm sure you've heard of right. like in a bunch of different things, but um, it's just this extensive effort to support state and local partners to open investigations into highway murders and to pick up basically um like the pattern of what's going on. And um, they have over 500 murder victims that were found, found along or near highways and at least, at least 200 potential suspects. Gosh. As far as like 10 suspects are believed to be responsible for some 30 homicides and have been placed in custody, including a truck driver arrested in Tennessee who was charged for four murders in a trucker charged with one murder in Massachusetts and another in New Jersey. Wow. So there's a the point of that was that there's a special force for this and that they submitted Kimberly's case to it because they are worried that it might have something to do with that even if she wasn't involved in prostitution but maybe just was in the wrong place wrong time. Right. Like, like going to the Apple Store in Park City last week. Don't do right. That. Yeah. So of course um that kind of goes along with the whole serial killer thing, but there's another theory that includes an unsolved murder that was super close to my hometown.
0: Before we hop into that, is the serial killer theory the Zodiac killer? Because for <laughs> some unknown reason, the Zodiac killer has become a theory in like five of our episodes in Pennsylvania.
1: No, he was not that I saw.
0: Yeah, well, but I'm sure, him. like maybe some. I of mean, them it was the '90s, it. so. <laughs> It was a little out of his, but uh, yeah.
1: I'm sure anyway. that they could take that Halloween cipher and make something of it.
0: They could make anything they want of that cipher.
1: Yeah. So the last theory, I know you're super familiar with this case too, is that it's connected to the disappearance and presumed murder of Tracy Crow. And if you have ever been to Upper Dauphin County, you should be familiar with this case and the yellow ribbons that line the town around the anniversary. For those of you not familiar, Tracy Crow was a young woman that disappeared from Millersburg, PA in 1989. She went to visit her sister and her brother-in-law at a trailer park and leave some uh, grocery store coupons and a barbecue grill in the front step, and then she was never seen again. Her vehicle was found in the square of Millersburg, and then four years later, her driver's license and the National Honor Society card that you get in high school was found along Wiccanisco Creek. It's widely believed that her boyfriend had something to do with it, and it was even thought that maybe she was under a concrete pool because his parents owned a pool company. So it's uh, kind of interesting. There's also the theory that she was fed to hogs and um, all of that. I don't see how that would be related.
0: Yeah, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I'm not seeing the connection between, I mean, they happened within a five year span of each other, but, or not even a seven year span of each other. So I, is there and any other. it's not like other... she was
1: found, like Tracy Crow was still to this date isn't found. And that's a case right. that we'll touch on in the future. It's. It's on my list. I just want to make sure it's perfect,
0: done right. And I think there's like some all my stuff, cases, <laughs> there's some stuff going on with that case right now, isn't there? Yeah, that's
1: kind of why I've held off because I don't want to yeah. do anything that would like mess up anything that's currently happening.
0: Yeah, there's a a book on that. Um, that whenever I had my surgery and I was on pain meds and sleeping at random times, one day I think I w- woke up at like one a.m. and just sat down and read that book in one sitting on the Tracy Crow case. Um,
1: The theories are definitely crazy on it. Yeah. I just don't see how it fits with Kimberly. No. And like, no one said that she lived a crazy lifestyle. Not that, that Tracy Crow did, but um, that Kimberly lived a crazy lifestyle. There's nothing that like suggests other than she frequented that truck stop. And like you said, if she was going to the gap where she was visiting family up that way, maybe that's why they knew her.
0: Right. How far, If you go like back around the mountain, like through Upper Dolphin, um, you know what I mean. Where does that? I know it brings you out at a point on eighty-one. How close is that to thirty-nine that it would bring you out on eighty-one from that Halifax? Like
1: like go up Goldmine? You mean yeah, up through Tower City? It'd be uh, probably way
0: beyond, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that would be super out of the way. I mean, 81 dumps right onto 322, so it would make more sense to go that way than to go through, like, gold in 209.
0: Yeah, that's true. Okay.
1: So police did submit her DNA in 2014 for testing, which gives me hope that someday this case will be solved or at least have some sense of what's happened to her, but they're still actively searching for answers. That's pretty much it. There's not a whole lot of information on the case. Um Assistant DA Ed Marsico said, quote, it was a terrifying crime that still stands out to this day. Those types of things you don't see in a normal case. It's more out of a movie than out of central PA homicide. Her sister said that the hardest part is not having closure, knowing that someone is out there living everyday life and they could do, have done this again.
0: I feel like so many of the cases that we have stumbled upon, right? Like not even the big name ones in PA are these, you never expect them in this small town, central PA, like some of the Duncannon things we've seen, Dolphin, Halifax, like you don't expect, you might expect something like this in Harrisburg, Philly, Pittsburgh, Erie, but like, you don't expect these things in Dauphin County and Perry County and I feel like initially it seemed really rare, and now we're finding more and more and more that are like, okay, maybe the countryside is kind of creepy. <laughs> maybe I don't want to go anywhere alone anymore.
1: <laughs> right? And we used to hang out outside all the time. Oh my gosh, um, yeah. Yeah.
0: In Perry County and (laughs) Dolphin County. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: And I know like when we first started this and we were thinking about just doing uh, Pennsylvania cases, I was like, are we going to have enough? Like, is there really going to be enough cases in Pennsylvania? Do we live in that crazy of a state? And quickly finding out like our list is a good 800 people long and still going with cases that aren't listed. So um if you know of one that you want us to cover, you can shoot us an email or on our website so that we can cover it. If you or anyone you know has any information on this case of Kimberly Yo, um, you can call the PA Crime Stoppers at 1-800-4-PA-TIPS. And remember that you can always remain anonymous and there is a cash reward available. That's all we have for this episode of Keystone Cold Cases Podcast. Please remember to never reach out to family or friends of the victims only to law enforcement if you have any information. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Amanda. Find all our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance by Darren Makins. Please join us next week for another case to
0: sleuth out.